thousands of illegal immigrants are sliding into this country. And make no mistake, this is not by Biden error, ignorance, or incompetence. This is by choice. If you don't think this is going to impact you, think again. The show starts now. Last week, 83,000 illegals came into this country. That is more than the capacity of Cowboy Stadium. Just let that sink in. That's a large town or the average suburb in America, and that came in in one freaking week. But if you ask the bright minds over at the Washington Post, who I assume didn't actually go to the southern border last week, it was just a reset, but not a surge. But the administration, the treasonous administration, wants you to believe they have this under control because this administration thinks you're stupid and every single one of those traitors are lying to you. And are you ready to be even more infuriated? These illegals, yeah, they are pushing out homeless veterans for space and hotels, housing, and other facilities. The message is pretty clear from up top. If you serve your country and end up homeless, screw you. If you invade our country with no respect for it, Democrats will give you perks, treats, hotel rooms, cell phones, and the key to the whole flipping kingdom. Illegals are coming to a city, town, or community near you. You can bet on that. What ought to happen is all the states that voted for Biden in 2020 get the illegals. Pack all of your dreamers into blue cities and states and you enjoy. And as for the holdouts, the patriots, the decent people who are still holding it down in these liberal bastions, those liberal hellholes, get out now. A flood is coming and you better find an ark and a red state like now. The border can be secured. Trump did it in less than four years and he did it with Democrats and Republicans kicking and screaming. What's happening now is not some Biden blunder. It's a clear and distinct choice, a vision and a game plan to bolster Democrat voter rolls for decades to come. If conservatives, Republicans, the GOP, ultra-freaking-megas, whatever you want to call us, don't make the border or lack thereof a major election issue in 2024, we simply don't deserve the presidency or Congress or any of it. Close the border, build the wall, protect this country. Joining me now with more of the truth the mainstream media doesn't want you to know, National Border Patrol Council Vice President Art Delcado. Art, it's great to have you back. I wish it was under better circumstances. Hey, thanks for telling me. I appreciate you having me on. You know, it's 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 been chaotic since day one, to be honest. Uh, day one of this administration is when everything blew up. You're, you're aware of it. You've been talking about it for quite some time. And, you know, now you hear people say, well, you know, it's been a problem for a while. Yet a lot of these individuals, and I'll speak specifically of some of the people from Venezuela that are coming into the country. They're asking for asylum in the United States. Granted, they're supposed to ask for asylum in the first country they stepped in, right? But a lot of these people that are asking for asylum, they've been living in places like Mexico, like Ecuador, like Colombia for two, three years. So why did they not ask for asylum back when President Trump was in office? It's obvious. It's because this presidency, this administration has just made it that much easier to come across. And when you talk to these people and you actually ask them, hey, why now? They're very open about it. They'll tell you it's because you're pre this is what irks me. And it does bother me. They tell me directly, it's because your president said I can do it and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's how frustrating it is. And, you know, the frustration amongst the agents that are out there putting their lives on the line still each and every day, because they're hearing that from individuals that are obviously breaking the law and they have no backing from this administration or from many of the leaders within this agency itself. 
know, I talked to Brandon Judd last week, and he told me when you have agencies and government filled with activists, this is what you get. But I do want to address some of the news that came out over the weekend. We know that late last week, they reinstated this Trump-era asylum rule where, as you mentioned, you do have to claim asylum in the first contiguous country that you enter. And uh, that was a Trump-era rule that seems like a common-sense thing. I'm glad that it has been reinstated. But I'm not fully confident that this is going to actually fully be reinstated or that there's not going to be loopholes or workarounds. Because it seems to me, these illegal immigrants, these criminal organizations, these cartels, if they can find a workaround or a loophole, the Biden administration is not going to close the loophole. So where are we with this new, I guess, reinstated asylum plan? Well, it still falls under the, you know, the famous gotaways that I've talked about for a long, long time. So you're right. They already know the loopholes. They know how to do it. They're going to continue with you know, pretty much lying and saying, hey, I'm coming from Venezuela, and they'll lie that they weren't in, in another country, and it's hard for us to prove that they weren't. They ditch all their passports. They ditch all their uh, you know, documentation that shows who they are or where they're coming from. So that's even harder to prove. And then they come across, they ask for the asylum. But let, let's get to the point. The cartels are the ones that are telling them where to cross, how to cross, and, in, and how large the groups are. And that is what is, you know, sending agents to that area. Now they have to worry about processing, transporting, and everything else. That's when you get the gotaways. So these other individuals that it's harder to prove, you know, that they haven't been in another country or they have serious criminal records, that's where you get the gotaways. And you're going to continue to have those gotaways because of the magnet that the administration has created. But how do you stop it? You stop it by implementing real policies that are already on the books. Nothing new. Just implement the, the, the laws that are already there. Detain people at the border when they're coming across. Do not release them. Do not just say, hey, here's your court date, which is, you know, five, six years from now, and let them say, I hope you show up. Can you, can you, you know, uh, pinky promise you're going to show up. That's pretty much what they're saying. But they're releasing them. What you do is you detain them. You hold them there. You have immigration judges. You have asylum officers. They're on the line. You, you look at each case, because I believe in immigration, but it's got to be legal immigration. And those that, that are able and eligible, fine, let's go through the process. But everyone else, you detain and you send back. That will send the message that if you're coming across, it's not a free-for-all, it's not a catch and release. That alone is going to deter the numbers. That's how easy it is. And it doesn't cost the taxpayers that much more money than it's going to cost, because all you have to worry about is detaining them. And it's right. going to only be for a while the word will spread and they'll say, I'm not going because now I'm getting detained. Now I actually have to prove my case. And that is what this administration is failing to do. So Art, let's talk about detaining though, because when you already have border patrol facilities and even the NGO facilities completely overpacked and overwhelmed, there are statues put in place that say that you can't detain people for uh, more than a certain number of hours, especially if your capacity is already at a certain limit. So I believe that that's also being exploited because these illegal, illegal immigrants, these cartels, they very well know that the laws, the humanitarian laws that we have in place to make sure that these illegals are not detained. So what do we do in that situation where all of these areas, these processing centers are completely overwhelmed? There just is no space. So Tommy, we are talking about, you know, the Flores ruling, which yes. says you can't hold it if they're accompanied by a juvenile for longer than 21 days, okay? But if you start 
actually having immigration judges and asylum officers there to look at the case and fast track them, having some of these quick courts that we've had before, you know, or, or put a lot of people together in the court and actually look at their cases, then that will deter the numbers because they realize they're, you know, you can get the cases through done within those days and then send people back. That, that'll drop the numbers. But then you have other areas like, you know, in, in Arizona, which has, it falls under different rules because there was a lawsuit quite some time ago. They call it the Jane Doe lawsuit. So out in Arizona, you can't detain these people longer than 14 days, but it can be done. You need to have the political will and you need to have the individuals down there on the line looking at the cases as they're coming through. Uh, but obviously, you know, putting the cases up and saying, please show up to court in five mm -hmm. to six years, that's never going to work. You've been down here. You were here during all the scandals when we were having all those uh, unaccompanied juveniles. All those juveniles, you know, and, and we're going to date ourselves, you and I. All those juveniles are full-grown adults now. Ask this administration if they know where they're at, and none of them are able to tell you. You're right. And speaking of these court dates in a mystical time and place, we actually had, of course, our Fox News crew down there asking these migrants um, when their court dates were. And we actually have visuals of one individual that their court date wasn't until 2027. So again, by that time, I mean, we've already got hopefully a new administration in office. But beyond that, how many children is this person going to have at that point? Then it's going to be you can't separate the families. I mean, this whole thing is a cycle. But I want to talk again about the numbers over the weekend. We had, of course, Mayorkas running to the rescue on the Sunday show on CNN, saying that it's absolutely extraordinary what this administration has done. Let's take a listen and then I want your reaction. Over the past two days, the United States Border Patrol has experienced a 50% drop in the number of encounters versus what we were experiencing earlier in the week. It's extraordinary what we've done over the past 18 months or so. It's extraordinary, Art. It really is extraordinary. I, I also believe it's extraordinary, but I don't think for the same reasons that Alejandro Mayorkas would say. It's sickening to me, but I am going to tell you what it is extraordinary. It's extraordinary that the men and women wake up each and every day. They go put their lives on the line. They continue doing what needs to be done because it's the right thing to do, regardless that this administration and a lot of the leadership within this agency has given agents every single reason not to care and to give up. Yet they're still out there and they're still putting in the hard hours. They're doing what needs to be done. You know, there's still agents in some areas that are still patrolling. But, you know, limited resources because everything's put over there in the processing centers, limited transport. They're, that's just a dangerous situation that they're in. That's what's extraordinary, that they're still doing it because it's the right thing to do. No, you're right. And uh, you know how much I love the men and women of Border Patrol. They do such a fantastic job. They've been demonized for years. They've been undermined, especially in the last two and a half years. And we give all the credit to those men and women that are still out there, still doing the job. And I'm so glad that you guys are such a voice for those people that are often voiceless. And they've done an extraordinary job, even with all the obstacles and the apprehensions and the marijuana they've seized, the meth they've seized, the fentanyl they've seized. I mean, when you look at the numbers of this stuff, they've really been able to get a lot of it stopped. Although we do worry about what's been able to come through, through no fault of their own, by the way. I want to also talk about these folks on the terror watch list that imagine that have been able to slip through the cracks. You know, Bill Malusian reported over the weekend that in California, an Afghan terrorist on the terror watch list was able to slip through. 
Art, what should the American people be concerned about on what's coming across this border, especially in the numbers that we're seeing with little to no vetting and then basically a catch and release policy? So the agent has reported that they've apprehended individuals from 160 different countries. That alone is scary. We've talked about a lot of the people that are coming from Venezuela that are coming through El Paso. We're also having a lot of people that are coming from China and from Cuba. Though a lot of those individuals have been coming through uh, you know, different areas of Texas. In Arizona, you're seeing people that are coming in from Africa, from Pakistan, from Dubai. So it's just it's just so many different individuals from different countries. I know Yuma's been having uh, issues with a lot of people from Russia and Ukraine in the past that are coming through. And those individuals, like you said, they're never going to show up to their court date. They're just coming in, they're, they're getting released. And then look at who it is that's coming across. I just flew out to Texas and I flew out of the Tucson airport. And that airport was jam-packed with a lot of these uh, individuals that had been released through the, you know, the third-party NGOs. They had been released and they were flying to different parts of the United States. And a lot of them were uh, military-aged men. That's who's coming across and getting released in the United States. I mean, it's something that's not only just affecting us right now, and we're talking about it, but, you know, unfortunately, we're going to be talking about this for a long time, and this is something that's going to affect many generations. The world that you and I grew up in, that, that world is no longer going to be in this country because we've allowed this to happen. Yeah, and allowed it to happen, encouraged it to happen, created a magnet for it all to happen. You mentioned before, a lot of these people are ditching their passports and their documents and their records when they come over. So we really have no way of really knowing who a lot of these individuals are. If they have a criminal history, especially if they're a guideway, we have no clue whatsoever and what they could do, what they want to do, what they will do, who they're working on behalf of. You know, the left really wants to make this a race issue. And you and I have talked about this before. 50% roughly of our Border Patrol agents are Hispanic, Latino, all right? This has nothing to do with race, especially when you look at all the countries coming in. I don't care if they're coming through and they're looking just like me, if it's a lot of little five foot four blonde girls coming through. I don't want them coming into my country if they're coming illegally, just point blank. But I, I think that there needs to also be an emphasis on where we go from here and what's gonna happen while this administration is still in office. What do you predict? Are, Look, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's not a race issue. I say it all the time. Illegal is not a race. I got family that are here that were born in other countries, and they came here and they went through the right process and they did it correctly. The drug dealers that are coming and bringing drugs into the United States, they don't care about race. They just want to sell the drugs to people and make money. They don't care about political parties either. You know, they just want to be able to bring their product and make more money. I think, you know, moving forward, we're going to have a very difficult time until this administration has the political will to stop it and actually do something about it. And they talk about it being humanitarian. There's nothing humanitarian of these individuals turning over their children to drug smugglers, to human smugglers, going through rough terrain, especially now with the summer months that are coming in, into the United States. And at the same time, they're handing over individuals that are being hidden in trunks of vehicles, going through high-speed chases. What you know, these drug smugglers have been utilizing now is drug addict drivers, because they realize that once the drug addict ends up into the facilities where they're being detained, they're going through withdrawal. So it's even harder for law enforcement to keep these people here. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's a complete mess. It's a free for all. And these criminal organizations, it's something that's been generation through generation. They've, per, they've perfected the craft, unfortunately. They know what they're doing and it's going to continue. We need to put a stop to it. I, I mean, I don't even know what, where we go from here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of people to open up their eyes and realize that you've got to either love this country more 
then you have idiotic hate for the last administration because the administration that's in office today is what's ruining our country. And it's not just now. We're going to suffer for many, many years. Right. This is not something that is easily reversed. I mean, you've got over six million that have come in in the last two and a half years. Add that to probably the 20 million that were already here over the last several decades. I mean, you've got a recipe for disaster. But Art, we appreciate you. Please let all the men and women of Border Patrol know that the silent majority has their back. We appreciate them for going out there every day, even when it's not easy, even when they are undermined and even when they are completely demoralized. We appreciate them, and we certainly hope they get some real leadership in that White House in the next two years. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, always, are. I'll talk to you soon. Still ahead, as Joe Biden declares white supremacy to be our top national security threat, California Governor Newsom walks back his reparations handout. Oh, Larry Elder joins me next. White supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland, is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go. You heard, Joe, our top terror threat isn't China or Russia or Iran or tens of thousands of unvetted illegals from all parts of the world rushing our border. It's white people. But he's not alone. California's Reparations Task Force has proposed cash payments as high as $1.2 million per black recipient to make up for slavery that never took place in California, which makes sense. But here's a tiny little plot twist. Old pandering greasy Gavin Newsom has declined to endorse these payouts. Uh Uh-oh, he's in a real tight spot now. He can either pander or bankrupt his entire state. What to do, what to do. Join me now with his take as host of The Larry Elder Show, Larry Elder. Larry, I know you're still sticking it out in California. And, you know, I was just shocked to hear that Gavin is now not really supporting what his own reparations task force put forward. It seems like every month the payout gets a little bigger. But what is Gavin going to do? You know, and Tommy, since the L.A. Times is calling me the black face of white supremacy, I'm not even sure I qualify. But here's (laughs) here's the deal. He had no blooming idea that this task force that he agreed to set up would, would uh, raid the vault the way they have. $800 billion, $1.2 million for every black resident of California. That's two and a half times the entire California state budget, which by the way is under, is on, is on a 20 to $30 billion deficit. And California is running a $1.5 trillion, trillion dollar unfunded pension liability. The money is not there. He had no blooming idea they were going to go this far. Uh, And he wants to run for president. He knows he's on the wrong side of this issue. Uh, While the majority of blacks support reparations, only 18 percent of whites do. That's not a formula to become president. And he knows it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's obvious. It sounded really good in 2020 to set up a reparations task force, you know, when everybody was looting things in the name of George Floyd and justice. It sounded really good for Gavin Newsom to put this task force together. But then once they start announcing how high these payments are going to be, I think he's going to put himself in a tight spot. I think he'll back away from it. I think you're right. He's got aspirations for the presidency, I believe, in 2024. But just when you look at California, you mentioned for so many years now, when I lived in California, it was the same thing. Gavin Newsom would bark about the budget surplus and how his state was doing so well. And now there is a budget deficit and they really want to bankrupt the state in every imaginable way possible while taxing the hell out of residents like you. You know, what's the future of California in the next one, two, three, four years? 
Well, we've lost 500,000 people in the last two and a half, three years. People are leaving San Francisco. People are leaving Los Angeles, citing all sorts of things, crime, uh, the high cost of living, the average price of a home here in California, Tommy, it's 175% above the national average. And by the way, this reparation task force didn't just stop at the $800 billion in cash payments. They want the, to eliminate the SAT. Uh, they want to reinstate uh, affirmative action, even though Californians voted twice against it most recently in 2020. They want free health care. They want an apology for slavery. And, and as you pointed out, California wasn't even a slave state. You know, the whole idea about reparations, to me, uh, is the extraction of money from people who were never slave owners to be given to people who were never slaves. The whole thing is absurd. And look about the way they... Um, get around the, the, the fact that California was not a slave state by saying, well, it's not about slavery, it's about grievances, it's about redlining uh, and overpopulation in prison and over-policing. Well, you wanna play that game, look at the way California treated Chinese people. There were laws that prevented Chinese from competing in certain businesses in the Bay Area. There were laws, believe it or not, on the books that prevented Japanese Americans from purchasing farmland in California, yet Japanese Americans look at their uh, net household income average is higher than the average household income of the average white person. Chinese Americans have a higher household income than the average white person. How can that be? And the answer is hard work, strong families, and embracing education. That's the formula, not whining and claiming that somebody owes something to you that was not done to you by other people. And then Joe Biden, of course, you know, I think someone told him to make that speech. I think every time he makes a speech like that, they say, mention white supremacy, mention fascism, mention ultra megas. Right. But when he's standing up there, a lot of us focused on Joe in that speech, but I was looking behind him and the students he was speaking to were visibly laughing. And I, if I had been sitting there, obviously would be laughing. But does anybody take this seriously when he says white supremacy is really our biggest threat? I hope not. Look at the numbers. There are around 21,000 homicides most recent year. Half of those were black victims. Almost all of those were, were committed by other black people. White people, when it comes to homicide, are actually underrepresented. When it comes to serial killing, uh, defined as uh, two or more killings uh, interrupted by a cooling period, whites are underrepresented, blacks are overrepresented. When it comes to mass shooting, same thing, whites are underrepresented, blacks are overrepresented. When it comes to interracial, black versus white homicides, and they're rare, but every year about 750, 500 whites are killed by blacks. Only 250 blacks are killed by whites, even though whites are, again, 62% of the population. And when you look at non-homicide, violent interracial acts between blacks and whites, roughly, Tommy, about 400,000 each year. And I'm talking about homicide, uh, attempted homicide, uh, manslaughter, rape, uh, uh, robbery with, an ag with, a, with the weapon, aggravated robbery. 85% of them are black perpetrators uh, and white victims, only 15% the other way around. So whites are committing less crime as a percentage of their population, and blacks are committing more crime as a percentage of their population. Yet the threat is, oh my God, white supremacists. It is a lie, a complete and total lie, whole in order to get black people angry. So they pull that lever like living for the Democratic Party, because at the top level, unless they get that 90, 95% black vote, they cannot win and they know it. Well, we're hoping that that's going to change and people will realize how much better off they were under Republican leadership. But I want to yeah. talk about Chicago as well, because I think this could very well be an election issue heading into 2024. Black residents in Chicago are very angry that illegal immigrants are now taking services and resources from underserved communities. Let's take a listen to these residents. They're pretty fired up. 
All these resources that have not come to us, now you want to overly compensate for people who never lived here before, and they, we need to be taken care of first and foremost before anything else happens here. Why would any leader put our black communities already riddled with crime at further risk by placing unvetted non-taxpayers steps away from our, our seniors? our children, and our homes we've worked so hard on our own to secure. Larry, they make an excellent point here. I don't know if it's going to change the way that they vote, but I think as this illegal immigration crisis worsens and these individuals are going to these blue cities that are already underserved, do you think it's going to make a difference in the hearts and minds? Well, that's why I'm running for president. That's why I'm asking people to go to elderforpresident.com because I think I can make a difference. There was a study done by the Civil Rights Commission. The group most hurt by illegal aliens are black and brown people living in the inner city who have high school or less education because most of the illegal aliens are, are unskilled. Uh, they There would be about a million more black people who have jobs but for illegal alien labor. And illegal alien labor puts downward pressure, Tommy, to the tune of almost $2,000 per year on the average salary of a black person living in the inner city. So they're the ones who are most harmed uh, by the by uh, illegal immigration. And the Democrats, of course, are doing this on purpose. And the people that they're harming are the ones that they purport to care about, i.e. black and brown people living in the inner city. And these communities are already underserved. We talk about education alone. When you've got inner cities that already have packed classrooms, they already struggle to have resources for education and the tools that they need to succeed. And then you bring in all these students that are illegal immigrants that don't speak English and need to be accommodated by a teacher who is right. bilingual. I mean, then you're really rationing the education for these communities, not just in Chicago, but really in every major urban place. And it's not just black kids that are going to suffer. It's white kids. It's every kid that's going to suffer right. in underserved areas. Can you speak to that and help people understand what this is going to do, particularly when it comes to education? Well, already before this happened, uh, Tommy, you look at the national report card, 85% of black eighth graders, these are 13-year-olds, can either read nor do math at grade level. And of course, the Democrats are opposed to school choice, which would dramatically improve that. We spend more money K-12 than virtually any other industrialized country with getting worse results. They lost a whole year of learning because of COVID, of math and, and uh, reading, which is going to translate into uh, earnings loss over their lifetime. And now you're throwing in a bunch of illegal aliens. You know, there was a study done years ago, Tommy, that looked at where public school teachers sent their own school-age kids. Uh, nationwide, 10% of us send our kids to public school, 6% of Black families. 49% of Philadelphia public school teachers with school-age kids put their own kids in private school. 39% of Chicago public school teachers put their own kids uh, in private school. So the teachers who know the school system the best aren't putting their own kids in it. What does that tell you? Yeah, that's horrifying. And it's only going to get worse. And it's from the same people who talk over and over again about education and supporting teachers. They support teachers unions. That's the big difference. Larry, we always appreciate you. And give us your website again for folks to go check out your campaign. Elderforpresident.com. I want to raise enough money to qualify for the first debate, which is in August in Milwaukee. Elderforpresident.com. Thank you so much, Larry. We appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, Daniel Penny, the Marine who stepped in to restrain the vagrant Jordan Neely on that New York City subway, is now facing 15 years behind bars. And you know I have some final thoughts. That's next. 
A valiant Marine subdues a mentally unstable vagrant and now faces 15 years behind bars. This is your New York under a Soros-funded DA. And if we don't start winning elections, my friends, this is your America, your Gotham City nightmare nationalized. And I have some final thoughts. Daniel Penny, the former Marine who stepped in to restrain the violent vagrant Jordan Neely, is now looking down the barrel of 15 years behind bars for manslaughter. He was arraigned last week, put in cuffs, and made to do a humiliating perp walk. Though he turned himself in, though he's been cooperated through the whole process, though what he did was in the defense of others. But Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg doesn't care. He's not a guardian of the law. He's an activist installed in his position by George Soros. Nothing more, nothing less. He doesn't make moves based on law. He makes moves based on the mob. And once again, the mob wins. And Jordan Neely's family, well, they hope to turn his death into dollar signs. No one on that train asked Jordan, what's wrong? How can I help you? He was choked to death instead. So for everybody saying, I've been on the train and I've been afraid before, and I can't tell you what I would have done in that situation, I'm going to tell you. Ask how you can help. Please. No one said, here you are, sir. Let me meet your need or help you in a situation or give a word of encouragement. So should Daniel Penny be charged with manslaughter? Absolutely. Because he acted with indifference. He didn't care about Jordan, he cared about himself. Jordan Neely was a vagrant living on the streets. Where was his family then? Now they care? Convenient, that's real convenient. Neely has been struggling for years, has been mentally ill for years and violent for years, and this time it caught up to him. Did he deserve to die? No. But are subway passengers and good and decent people supposed to give a mentally ill man spouting death threats the benefit of the doubt? Should Daniel Penny have sat his happy ass down and waited for Neely to punch an elderly woman again or kidnap a child again? If Reg did his job, New York City residents wouldn't be put in this situation in the first place. But Bragg is sending a message loud and clear. Do not mess with his mayhem. Do not question the lawless hellhole he's created. Do not be bold and do not be brave. Let it happen. Let the country go to hell and let innocent people pay the price. These liberals want men to devolve into purse-holding cowards. They want you all emasculated and neutered because real men are the last remaining barrier these communists must eliminate in their quest to destroy everything around us. Well, Daniel Penny did something. He stood up. He acted. So I stand with Daniel Penny and every other man who has the fortitude and the character to protect and defend the vulnerable. In a world full of cowards, be a Daniel Penny. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.